0: Right, let's pray together. Loving Father, as we come to your word, may it uh, inform us and teach us, encourage us and rebuke us. Uh, And may we, Lord, as we come to your table, come uh, refreshed and renewed and challenged. In Jesus' name, amen. I came across this article in a newspaper a couple of weeks ago, and it reads like this. After a decade of doing his family's weekly shop, at the same family supermarket, Gareth Wilde decided in 2015 that he would spice things up by setting himself a challenge, parking in every space of his local Sainsbury's car park, every time he does the weekly shop. It's taken him six years to do it and involve maps and spreadsheets to ensure that he is parked in all 211 bays of the car park. Getting to all of Area B said Mr. Wilde, was the same sort of joy I had at the birth of my first son. Maybe better. I'm considering he was reported as saying, calling up my old teacher, who told me I'd never amount to anything. (laughs) Well, it's all good, clean fun, isn't it? And perhaps in the lockdown, we've uh, ended up uh, perhaps uh, doing things we wouldn't have done before. But actually, he's done six years, so he started this way before that. But it did make me think that this guy clearly needs a higher purpose in his life. And we find it in these words, thy kingdom come. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus raises our sights from the earthy to the spiritual, from the temporal to the eternal, from the present to the future. These three words, thy kingdom come, speak of what lies ahead. How one day all the kingdoms of the earth will pass away, and only that which belongs to God's perfect kingdom will be left in existence. There'll be no crime. I had another scam phone call this week. There'll be no injustice or oppression. There'll be no disease or death. It's a wonderful thing to pray to come into our lives. And we can join that kingdom now and taste something of its transforming power by welcoming Jesus, the King of that kingdom, into our hearts and by bringing our lives under his loving rule. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we are looking to that day when Jesus returns in glory and to the blessings that come in the here and now as more and more people come to the King and live his way. And it's to this higher purpose that you and I are called now we began this Thy Kingdom Come sermon series last week by looking at the power of prayer in the previous section from Acts chapter 4 and we saw how they, as they prayed the first Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit and they ended up speaking the word of God boldly and we went to encourage to pray for five people we know to hear the call of the king and to join us as followers of Christ and I hope you've perhaps been thinking of who my five are And from Thursday, we're going to be praying uh, on our own, but also together if you're free at that time. We're going to be following the example of those first Christians who, in the book of Acts, prayed every day after Jesus went back up to heaven until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And I hope you will join in this wave of prayer, because the church is thriving and growing all over the world, but we want to see that happen here in the UK too, and here in Chesham. But the sign that we have been filled with the Spirit is not just that we go about praying for others to follow Christ and boldly proclaiming the gospel. Those are signs of the Spirit at work in us. It's also seen in the way that we start being partners with Jesus in the building of God's kingdom. And that brings us to this morning's passage. I don't know if you notice the back of your little service sheet, just on the back there, you've got the passage set out there with a bit of space for sermon notes. And in this passage, we discover two types of partners, the generous kingdom partner and the reluctant kingdom partner. We're given both a shining example and a serious warning. And it's good to look at these two different types of uh, partners alongside today's finance update and the prayerful response that that calls forth from us. But let's look first at Barnabas, who is an example of a generous kingdom partner. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is an example of a generous kingdom partner. Now, what inspired this act of generosity from Barnabas? Well, if you look back with me to verse 32 of chapter 4, we read that all the believers were one in heart and mind. There was a wonderful sense of community and togetherness, of being together fellow citizens of the kingdom of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. No one, writes Luke, claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. The first Christians, you see, did not see their money, in other words, as their own, but as belonging to God. When considering what to give away, the thinking wasn't how much of my money am I going to give to God's church, but how much of God's money that he has given to me does he want me to give back to his people? Yours, Lord, cried King David, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. And it's this thinking that led Barnabas to sell his field and bring it to the apostles for the blessing of the church as a whole. He became aware of a need and how he could meet that need, and the first Christians followed suit. They saw themselves as creating something new, they wanted to reflect the values of the kingdom to come in the way that they lived in the here and now to build a new society and there was no compulsion here this wasn't enforced communism the field was barnabas's private property what we're seeing here says luke is an example of god's grace powerfully at work Those who receive grace, who discover the undeserved and unearned forgiveness that's to be found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, becoming channels of that grace to others. And as a result, says Luke, there was no needy person among them, nor that everyone had the same, but no one was left destitute. The writer, uh, well, and the reformer, John Calvin, says uh, this, We must must have hearts that are harder than iron if we're not moved by the reading of this narrative. In those days, the believers gave abundantly of what was their own. We in our day are content, not just jealously to retain what we possess, but callously to rob others. They sold their possessions in those days. In our day, we're talking the 1600s here, it is the lust of purchase that reigns supreme. They're not much new. How then should we apply what Barnabas and the others did to our own lives? How can we be generous kingdom partners like them in our day? Well, the first step we can take is to shift, I think, the way we see our possessions as our possessions and see them rather as God's gift to us. Yes, we might have earned them, but nonetheless God sort of enabled us to have that education and training, whatever it was, to enable us to have that job. The second step is to see ourselves not as individual followers of Christ, but as citizens together of the kingdom of God. We live in a country where taxes and the welfare state provides now, or is meant to provide, a safety net for the poorest in society. In an extension of this Christian principle to the whole of society. But the principle goes far wider than gladly supporting the welfare state. It reminds us to open our homes, and we can do again in it eight days' time, to others in the church family, so that no one goes in need of friendship and support, because there are more than just physical and material needs. And why it's helpful to have, as we do as a church, a discretionary fund to help those who need specific extra financial help. I know some people like to give to that specifically. And we can personally, can't we, help those in need in society generally through sort of filling some of the gaps of the welfare state, like with the local food bank. And then the third step, I think, we can is to see ourselves not just as those who receive from God's salvation and blessing, but actually see ourselves as valued partners with God in the building of his kingdom on earth, as in heaven, as people are introduced to the king and the blessings of living his way. Well, this may be something you've got well in hand, that uh, we're committed, you might be thinking, I'm committed to regularly supporting St. Mary's and other Kingdom of God partnerships. Others of us will perhaps be more casual and occasional in our support. And if you're not already, can I invite you to be a a grace-filled, regular Kingdom partner here at St. Mary's? And uh, together, I hope we do, if you read that uh, little financial update, you'll see we've got a, a goal of increasing our income by 10% this year. And I think if we can together come uh, around us, I'm sure we can reach that target, even in the face of difficult economic challenges that we face as a country. So that's Barnabas. He's an encouraging person. He was the son of encouragement. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were full of enc- Barnabases here at St. Mary's? Generous kingdom partners let's look now at the the other example we're given here of Ananias and Sapphira chapter 5 verse 2 now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira Sapphira uh, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles feet Here are two, what we might call, reluctant kingdom partners. They're not wholly sold on the idea. They want to be known as kingdom partners in public, just like Barnabas. But in private, they ended up letting their personal greed get the better of them. Peter clearly states that the property that was sold belonged to Ananias and Sapphira, as did the proceeds from the sale. Verse 4 of chapter 5, he says, Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? So at first sight, there was nothing wrong in their withholding of the sale proceeds. They were under no obligation to sell the property or having sold it to give any away, let alone all the proceeds. But the Apostle Peter is clear that in bringing this sum of money to the Apostles, they had engaged in a lie, in a deception. Something is going on here that is half hidden. When Luke says Ananias kept back some of the money, the word he uses means to misappropriate or embezzle. And we have to assume, writes the late John Stott in his commentary, that before the sale, Ananias and Sapphira had entered into some kind of contract to give the church the total amount raised from the sale. And when they decided to keep some of the proceeds for themselves, while pretending to have given everything that they'd promised to give, they brought the first lie into the new kingdom community, the new Christian community that was being formed in Jerusalem. And it was like Adam and Eve all over again. Peter sees behind Ananias' actions the same subtle satanic temptations. Ananias, he says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land, only by divinely Given insight is this deception brought into the light. The judgment then comes swiftly for both Ananias and then Sapphira. Their dead bodies end up being carried out of the room feet first. And that's shocking, isn't it, to read that? Perhaps when we think about when we first heard of COVID, um, we probably shrugged it off as something akin to the flu. But when more and more people succumbed and succumbed quickly to the virus, we all gained a respectful fear of it. We started washing our hands and wearing masks and obeying social distancing rules, having a jab. The example of Ananias and Sapphira and their sudden deaths had the same sort of effect on the early church. And shocking though it still is to read what happened, it brought home the seriousness with which Christians are to conduct themselves before God, who holds in his hands our next breath. And as the prophet Malachi put it, we are not to steal from God that which we have set apart for him. It taught the first Christians the value God placed on honesty and integrity. That they were no longer under law, they were to live by grace and have their lives shaped by grace based giving. But I don't know about you, but looking at this uh, passage this week has encouraged me to look again at my attitude towards giving to see it not as an obligation but as an opportunity to be a kingdom partner to share with christ in the resourcing of ministries that help spread the gospel both here in chesham and further afield and one of the things the first thing we put on that finance update is to thank you for those of you who've supported that ministry in the past year but to see it as part of our discipleship to bring our finances under his lordship and to see my money not as my money but as God's gift to me, to encourage other Christians as Barnabas did by bringing to the apostles' feet, so to speak, my gift towards God's kingdom-building work through his church locally and to play my part, hopefully, in reaching this year's finance target so we can put St Mary's in the best possible position to witness to the power of the resurrection, just like the apostles were doing here And then Anais and Sapphira's story has also challenged me to look again at my finances, to ask myself, have I actually given to God what I said I would give? And maybe that's something you sense the Holy Spirit prompting you to do as well. And I know that there are a few things I've got to sort out this week as a result of preparing for this sermon. And I have to say, as someone who's just joined up to uh, St. Mary's uh, parish giving scheme, I found it very straightforward and easy to do. So, if you haven't done that, or uh, were thinking of doing that, uh, read a pack and, and think about it. But to conclude, you you and I have a higher purpose in life than counting car park spaces. We can be kingdom partners with Christ. He is the only kingdom which is eternal, and it's a wonderful privilege that you and I, in this life on earth, can. Invest in something which lasts forever when we invest in God's kingdom. Every other kingdom will pass away. Even the United Kingdom, in particular, looks more fragile, doesn't it, than ever. But through faith in Him and His resurrection, we too can enjoy the gift of eternal life. And there is nothing more precious than that, that He gives us freely. And each church is to be an outpost of that kingdom to give us a taste of what that life to come is like. There is no other higher purpose to which we can commit our lives. And I hope you'll join me in doing that. Let's pray together. Eternal God, giver of love and power, your Son, Jesus Christ, has sent us into all the world to preach the gospel of his kingdom. Confirm us in his mission. Help us to live the good news we proclaim, to be gospel partners, kingdom partners with you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.